What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode of Rethinking Christianity. On today's episode, we have Tim Whitaker. He runs the uh, Instagram page, The New Evangelicals, which some of you that are listening may be familiar with. Um, This page is all about deconstruction and just kind of challenging some of the things in American evangelicalism. And I just thought it would be really cool to have him on and kind of talk through some of the things that has brought him to where he's at in his faith and some of the things that influence the things that he posts. And I think it's just good to hear from people that are working through maybe doubt or deconstruction or whatever it may be. And so today's episode with Tim was really cool, really insightful, and he was super helpful and encouraging. And I hope that he will be the same for you. So with that being said, let's get into the episode. Welcome to another episode of Rethinking Christianity. On today's episode, we have uh, Tim Whitaker. Tim runs an Instagram page called The New Evangelicals. Some of you have may have seen it. He puts out a lot of different content on uh, the current state of the evangelical church in America, deconstruction, uh, a lot of different things that I've found really helpful for myself. And I've had a lot of friends kind of share stuff with me that I think is super encouraging and I think it's necessary. Uh, and so thank you for coming in, Tim. I really appreciate it. Um, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so before we kind of get started in, in some of the questions I have for you about just deconstruction and and Mm. the church today, and maybe just some of your own personal viewpoints on it, I'd love to just hear like some of your own personal story of faith, uh, and how you got to kind of where you're at now, like where you're at today and kind of just your, your background growing up in, in the faith and, and all that. Great. Yeah, I'll try and make it pretty brief. Um, Long story short, of course, um, I grew up homeschooled. I grew up in a uh, conservative uh, fundamentalist environment. Great parents. My parents are great people. I'm still very close to them today. So nothing really to do with them as far as my childhood goes that was negative. They were they were great. Um, You know, been in church since the beginning. Uh, The church I attended when I was from like zero to maybe like eh, 15, 16, um, I attended two different churches. Both of them were pretty fundamentalist and also somewhat reformed. So kind of like a John MacArthur perspective. Um, I started playing music in the church when I was 11. So that had a big impact on my life. Um, and, you know, I never really, I was never that person who rebelled out of their faith. I always tell people I kind of rebelled deeper into my faith. And when I was about 18, I took a trip to Europe uh, for, for missions work for three months. Actually, I was overseas, but it was for a little while. And one of the churches that we worked with was called The Well. They met in a, uh, in Brussels, Belgium, and they met in, in bars around the city. And me coming from a conservative, reformed slash fundamentalist belief, I was like, could not picture a church meeting in bars in a city. Like that just did not compute. And uh, that was the first moment for me of like, oh, like there's other ways to express the church community interesting. And it just so happened that at that time, I was also part of a community of people, kind of like a small group, but also kind of like a church plan, but we never called it either of those things. Uh, And that became a very safe place uh, for me to be able to talk through what we believed. And we we were all very like-minded as far as being hungry for wanting the truth. So we started deconstructing church. Of course, we didn't use that that label then, but that's what we were doing. We were really dismantling, what is church? What can church look like? Does it have to be in a building? Does it have to be a fancy show? Um, So I've I've been having these discussions for um, geez, uh, I guess almost close to 14 years now, 32. So I've been, I've been in this world 
I, and also in this mentality, in this headspace of always rethinking things with my Christian faith. But when I was 28 was when I would say I really started hitting the deconstruction of like my theology. Um, I was raised Calvinist, never really thought about it until I turned 28 and was thinking, man, like this is wacky. Like this, how is God loving and also predestining people to burn in hell forever? That doesn't make a lot of sense. So that cre um, created a lot of anxiety and a lot of panic in my life. So there was a lot of mental health issues at that time that kind of came up out of nowhere. It was a pretty dark season, honestly. Like it was, it was really was no fun. And that could be a whole different podcast episode in and of itself. I'm just kind of giving you the highlights. Um, but that really springboarded me into realizing how important mental health is. And that really made me rethink a lot of my theology and also realize that the world is bigger than the evangelical Western slice of the pie. And to be told that this is the only truth, that this is absolute truth, and everyone else is just misled, um, it started to make less and less sense. Like, surely if the divine is who he says that he is, surely he's working in bigger ways than just the evangelical church. So, you know, since then, I've kind of been on that journey of deconstructing, and uh, it's been a really good journey, but also painful journey. And we can go into that in a little bit. There's some things that even happened recently that have been pretty painful for me regarding um, what deconstruction and being vocal about this has cost me. But yeah, that's kind of the highlights of kind of how I grew up and kind of how I got to where I am. Yeah, I have a, my background is kind of similar in that. Um, I would say I just grew up in the traditional Southern Baptist church, um, grew up sure. going to Awana, Oh yeah. 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 I've been there. Sparky Dude, I remember, all the uh, way through. <laughs> I remember like I would rush to like, I would try and memorize the shortest verses as fast as I could so that I could get Same. like the, the badges or whatever. Um, yep. you know, and, and so shares, I, I, of course, yeah, you, you had to have your shares, the money. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, you know, I, I grew up in that background and I ended up going to, um, so my first two years of college, I stayed at, um, home and then I ended up going to, um, transferring to do an undergrad degree in Christian studies. And that is when I began to be introduced to the academic world of the Bible. And right. for me, that was kind of, I never really realized, you know, a lot of the issues that I would have until I started being presented with a different viewpoint of the Bible other than that. And so for me, I, I have a similar background in that and that I grew up and, you know, I, my parents were good. My mother, um, she cares about her faith and she is someone yeah. that is uh, working through some of these questions and stuff also. Yeah. Um, so do you think that there was like, can you point to maybe a specific moment? Um, maybe, I don't know, that you began to realize like the fate that you were taught. I know you mentioned the bars. Um, and obviously that is, that's kind of cool, but also like just different. And so yeah. maybe that like a specific point where you realize like, okay, this is not what I thought it was. Um, or maybe something that you, it was presented to you. For me, I was presented, I took a first and second Kings class and I had a professor that presented the Bible to me in a way and asked mm -hmm. questions that I'd never been asked before. And I had absolutely no answer for them. Right. And, uh, and he was a Christian, um, but he was trying to make me think. So, so is there anything maybe that was specific along the journey of faith? There are two, I would say, two moments. Uh, I would agree with you. My freshman class of you know, Old Testament survey essentially was the beginning of like, oh, like this Bible is so, there's so much more happening. I specifically, I, I remember specifically him talking about the, the, the 10 plagues and how each plague really is 
taking down one of the Egyptians gods. Like each one is related to a God that the Egyptians worshiped. And so it's not just these random 10 plagues of like even wrath. It's, it's this idea of a war of the gods almost, you know, where Moses is like, this is the God of the universe and this is the one true God. And, you know, Pharaoh is like, no, we have these gods and every plague is that is Yahweh just taking them out. I'm like, wow, that adds so much depth and life and beauty to stories. That I just took it, you know, took it for, um, for granted. So that was one. And the other moment for me, that was like, wow, I have just no, I, wow. Didn't, did not realize how deep the, the, the Bible is, is when I got introduced to the Bible project. Yes. They are by far, yeah. by far for me, I would, and they, I found them at a very clutch time in my life. Like when I was really going through the anxiety and panic and, and really heavy doubt. So they, I would say really saved like my faith in the sense of helping me to realize that like, it's okay to hold the Bible in one sense, very loosely, um, and also very tightly at the same exact time in different ways and with different categories that I've been taught to hold the Bible, right? Like maybe the Bible isn't all camcorder footage. Like I was taught, maybe Genesis one isn't a literal creation narrative, but that makes it actually even more beautiful when you hear like what the point of Genesis one is. And um, the Bible project really helped me undo that. So those are the, are the two biggest ones for me. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Tim Mackey is a legend. He's a legend. The stuff they put out is, is I think, helping so many people. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So with the with the Instagram page, that's a it's interesting to see kind of the response to some of that. Um, And and what I mean by that is the positive response of so many people responding to it in a positive way. So when did you start that that page? I mean, you may have had it for a while. I just recently kind of had come across it and had a friend send it to me and. Um, what made you name it the New Evangelicals? All right. Well, the page is started in December of 2020. So okay, we're like wow. we're we're like four months into this experiment. Oh my gosh, I did not realize. I know. Yeah, it's pretty new. Um, now, what I did was instead of starting a brand new account, I converted my personal account, which had about 2,000 followers. But okay. it, I'm a drummer. And so that account was all drum videos. That's all it was. Just me sharing like worship moments that I recorded recorded with, with my GoPro. So I, but I kept the two, having 2000 as a base helps you kind of launch a little bit, you know, yeah. but yeah, right now, you know, we're at about 11,000 and it's been like, it's been crazy. It's just been crazy to see the growth and also see the, it's more than growth. It's the engagement. Like, you know, there's been days where I've gotten like 300 DMs, you know, and part of that is because I'm asking for people to, to interact. So it's not like nothing to do with me. You know, I'm, I'm posing a question and say like, okay, the tithe, what do you think about it? And then people share and I screenshot and that's how the stories work. So that's how the, that's the account and how new it is. The, the name came to me, we can call it the, we can call it inspiration. We can call it epiphany, whatever. But I was sitting, it was October. Eh, no, it was August. It was August. It was August. So the pandemic was still in full, full, you know, um, it was full momentum is still going forward. And I'm sitting there and I'm at home and I'm not working right now. You know, we, we have a, um, at the time my, my son was like four months old and I'm, I'm on my Instagram account watching something by Sean Foyt. I'm just like losing my mind. I'm just like, oh my God, like this is just, it's just so terrible, like the whole perspective that he has. Now, I, I'm always key, and I, I'm always I'm careful to say that it's not about dehumanizing people like Sean Foy. You know, Sean is a human being made in God's image, but his rhetoric and his perspective, I think, is ultimately very harmful. So I'm sitting there watching his stuff. I'm just like, man, Sean, like you're just missing it, man. These worship protests are doing so much more harm than good. And out of my frustration, I was just like, we just need like, I don't know, like, a new evangelical movement, like the new evangelicals. I'm like, 
oh, I kind of like that. Yeah. And I looked it up and no one had the name. It wasn't on Instagram. It wasn't on Facebook. It wasn't really anywhere. It was, there was not even a, a, a website for it. I'm like, no one has grabbed this. Like to me, it was just so, it was so good. And that's not saying that I'm, I think of good things. It was just one of those moments where I'm like, wow, this is a pretty catchy, catchy name. Someone has to have it. And no one had it. And I sat on that until about November uh, when someone finally pushed me over the edge just, and just said, dude, you got to launch this thing and just go like, you just need to do it. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Wow. So I, yeah, I did not realize how new it was. So, and you, so you had that 2000 follower base. That's cool. So yeah. um, have you had any like negative, I mean, I'm sure you have, but have you had negative people kind of respond to like in your DMS and things like that? Or is it mostly majority been positive? The, the majority is positive. Overwhelming majority is positive. And I've had some pushback. Um, one professor in particular, like lit me up for a while. And we, we, we would go back and forth in the DMs. And eventually he was like, you know, he just said something to the effect of like, I use your material for fodder for, uh, for my classes. So thanks. Kind of like a little snarky, you know. So I've got a pushback like that. Um, this account most recently has cost me my um, volunteer position at my church as of like a week ago. So there's that. (laughs) So that's pretty negative. Um, I I was just told, I was told well, and they were respectful and very kind, but they, my senior pastor essentially said like, listen, you know, I can't have someone on the platform who's posting things that, that contradict what I teach. I said, Oh, okay. So that's, uh, you know, and he said it was pretty much either either this or that. And I said, well, I have at the time, like 10,000 followers and every day I'm getting messages of people saying how grateful they are for this account, how healing it is to them. I can't stop. Like I, I can't, I, I can't stop for their sake, you know? And uh, so that, yeah, so that's most recently what, what it's cost me, which is honestly pretty, pretty gut-wrenching. It's still pretty fresh. I mean, I've been there for six years serving pretty consistently almost every Sunday, pretty faithfully. So uh, it was definitely painful. We left on good terms. You know, there's no bitterness or anger. There's just a lot of hurt, which is almost worse because bitter or anger, at least I would feel like I'm entitled to like feeling that way. But with hurt, it's just, there's just no good feeling. There's no way to reconcile like, yeah, like screw them. You know, I I don't feel that at all. I just feel devastated. So, yep, there's that. (laughs) Yeah, that's hard. That that stinks. Uh So, you know, kind of in response to that, that, so it seems like, do do you feel that people are afraid of deconstruction? Like people that kind of aren't aware of it, or maybe they just are like, kind of in the midst of evangelicalism or whatever. And, and my thing here is not, I'm not trying to just bash people that are, that are evangelicals or anything like that sure. or act as though um, I know more or anything of that nature. Um, but there sometimes seems to be this lack of awareness that there's a lot of people that are dealing with this and thinking through these things. Um, and when people that are not aware of that see it, I think that there's like this, maybe this fear. Um, do you think that that's, that's true? Oh, yeah. I mean, and there's so many layers to this. I'm not sure what angle you want to attack this from. Do you have anything specific you know, in mind as far as what angle? Because we can go anywhere with this. And I have a lot of thoughts on all of it. <laughs> so. Yeah. So specifically, I guess just in general, like, so for instance, um, and even minor deconstruction, okay? For instance, we mentioned the Bible Project. What they're doing is deconstructing a view of the Bible for many people. And I, I saw a video earlier where a guy was in the comments saying, these guys are false teachers and this, that, and the other. And I'm just Classic. like, dude, like, how do you get that out of this? So um, I yeah. guess maybe just that fear of like, you know, what, what is it? Why do you think people are afraid? 
Well, the reason why I think one of, I should say, the reasons is because we've been sold a fundamentalist perspective of the Christian faith uh, and of the Bible that pretty much says, if you don't see it this way, you're not standing on the truth of God's word. And this is not a new thing. I mean, you can look back in modern American history and it's been there all along. I mean, for example, Bob Jones, um, who started Bob Jones University, he um, wrote and he um, like spoke a sermon over the radio um, arguing why God fully supports segregation, fully. And if you don't support segregation, you know, keeping the races separate, you are a liberal and you're just, you have a low view of scripture. And he, he took his scripture verses and made his points. And the perspective was, if you don't see it this way, like you just, you don't, you're, you're, you're not Christian. You just, you, and, and literally all the words that we hear now, you know, you progressives, you have a low view of God. Um, you know, you just don't know what you're talking about. You're ignorant. You're not standing on the truth of God's word. They're all, it's the same lines, just using a different context. Now, thankfully now we would never think about Bob Jones saying that now as being, yes, this is true, but a lot of people did. And so the fear is people fear what they don't understand or what they don't know. And we've been taught largely, not all, and there's, I'll get there in a second, but largely by the white evangelical church that, that if you don't understand or know something, it must be wrong. And therefore you're right. And they're wrong. There's no sense of engagement. I mean, even when I was growing up as a child, the big, the big thing was parents sending their kids off to secular colleges, afraid that, that they were going to come back brainwashed, you know, that, that, that the liberal professors were going to brainwash them. Now, the thing is you have to realize is that there's a huge connection between right-wing media and white evangelicals. They're very intertwined. Statistically, they're intertwined. Um, and, and right-wing media knows that. They play to that base very well. And essentially, since, like, I would argue the early 80s with, you know, the rise of Rush Limbaugh on, they've done a great job of discipling the white evangelical church way more than solid scholars and theologians from academia have. I mean, most pastors think that they're discipling people in the pews. The reality is they're their, their pews are being, dis, or their congregations being discipled by right-wing media way more than them. And that's just, I mean, statistically, you can make that point, right? You figure the average churchgoer goes twice a week, or I'm sorry, twice a month. So you figure a pastor might have their ear for an hour and a half over 30 days. That is a drop in the bucket compared to the onslaught of social media, of talk radio, of podcasts, of, of right-wing media that uses Christian language to essentially, essentially nationalize a base and make them feel like anything that's outside of, of what we know is therefore a threat. So deconstruction is just the newest boogeyman that has come up out of, out of the swamp you know, to take away you know, theology and to ruin Christianity. But in reality, it's challenging the status quo of fundamentalism. And that's what we're really seeing a, a reaction from. Yeah, I, rem I remember, uh, you know, we're at the church I grew up in. Um, we did our senior ceremony and the gift that we got was how to keep your faith in college. Of course. And, and I was like, dude, I'm going to the junior college up the road. I don't think that I'm going to run into and later I went to Shorter University and I, you know, I was uh, presented with some of the stuff I mentioned earlier. But yeah, yeah I would definitely agree. And, and for me, when I look at, you know, I look at deconstruction from a very broad viewpoint, and that's kind of where I'm coming from uh, in some of the questioning. So like that, what you mentioned about how people in the pews are being discipled more by media, by megachurch pastors, by all these people rather than the actual pastor or theologians, um, and what's interesting is the stuff that people like 
the Bible Project or people like N.T. Wright or, or people yeah. like that that are presenting, it's not new information. Nope. Um, and, and so it's really like, for me, I don't know if it's necessarily deconstruction as much it is, as it is clearing the slate of what you know people have been presented and representing it to people in a way yeah. that makes more sense, that follows after the way of Jesus. Uh, and so kind of playing off of that, what is what in your opinion, from a, vro- a broad viewpoint, what in your opinion is the end goal of deconstruction? Okay, that's a uh, deconstruction is about as broad of a term as the term evangelical. You know, it's like John MacArthur, Kenneth Copeland, both labeled evangelical. They really don't like each other, right? Yeah. So, same kind of thing is is true here. Deconstruction is a very big term. Some people, well, let me start by saying this: deconstruction is very self-explanatory. It really means to to take apart or to deconstruct whatever you you thought was an absolute or whatever you thought was was uh, very sure. You know, something something that you were sure of. For most Christians, it happens to be their faith because they're rethinking or they're deconstructing their faith or they're saying, yeah, what if creation wasn't, you know, what, what if Genesis 1 wasn't a literal seven days? That's deconstructing. You're taking an old belief, replacing it with a new belief. Even if the belief is, I'm not sure anymore, that's still a new belief. Now, some people deconstruct out of the faith, okay? Yeah. That's also valid deconstruction. That is so important to realize here. I'm never going to be the person who's like, whoa, 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 guys, if you're deconstructing, Here's the right way. Here's the wrong way. And part of that is because I'm not God. It's not my job. And I'm not here to, to gaslight people into feeling a certain way about decisions that, that they're coming to. So for sake of our context, I think most people who listen to us are deconstructing, but still want to hang on to some form of Jesus and their faith. Like they're they tend to deconstruct because they want to know more about their faith, not less about their faith, right? Yeah. They're they're taking the Bible seriously for, for maybe the first time. And now they're thinking, okay, what I was taught isn't lining up with like what I'm finding out. So um, so that's important to recognize, you know? So I think deconstruction, the end goal, I don't know if there really is a goal. I think it's more of, of a process, right? Like I life is deconstruction when you think about it. Yeah. Like the same person. The person you are now is not who you were when you were 10 years old. And the person you are now, yeah, right. Praise God indeed. Same for me. And the person that you are now is not the same person that you're going to be in 10 years from now, especially because you told me you're getting married in 11 days. You know, that is going to change you. The person I am five years ago before my marriage is different now. So, so life in a sense is this idea of renewal. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's one big journey of, of, of better beliefs and getting rid of, of, of older beliefs. So deconstruction is very much a human experience. We're just putting a label to something that really says, I thought I was absolutely sure I knew it. I had it figured out in the Christian faith. And it turns out I did not, which actually is so, so beautiful because think about it. In what other part of life do you ever think that that you've arrived? What other part? I'm a musician. Okay. I've been drumming now for 22 years and I do it well, like I'm accomplished in what I do. And if I ever thought I've arrived as a drummer, like this is it, I've accomplished it, I would be laughed out of whatever gig I'm playing at, you know? And the reality is that I feel like 22 years in, I'm just discovering drumming all over again. I'm realizing how much I don't know about 
about, about, about music, right? The same thing is true here. We need to stop this really weird belief of like, you can have absolute assurance that you know the truth. And while we definitely adhere to certain orthodox fundamental beliefs of death and resurrection of Jesus, stuff like that, right? Even that, we have to be able to realize like, listen, there is debate. Now, I choose to believe that. I do put my allegiance in this risen Christ. But my God, let's not make, let's, let, let's not try and fit a circle into a square here. There certainly is an element of, you know, we are trusting a tradition in the middle of this. So I say all that because I think that we have to be, I think that for our modern minds, as Tim Mackey would say, right, the modern mind just like can't process that because we're we're taught with science and with math and with life that things are so black and white, but life just isn't always those things. Obviously, science is great. Math is great. They help us build skyscrapers and buildings. That's good. But when it comes yeah. to theology and the study of God, it's a pretty I would argue prideful thing to think that out of all of human history in 2021, us evangelical fundamentalists have got God figured out and the rest of the world has just been missing it all this time. Like that's a very boastful thing to say, especially when we're talking about the divine, this presence that we can't see or even really for most of us at least claim to interact with like audibly, right? Like there's something mis mis naturally mysterious about, about, about what we're trying to talk about. So we have to be aware of that. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I think it's, it's just a, one of the things that I've had to do in the midst of like rethinking my faith is, you know, that perspective right there of being okay with not knowing like being okay with the mystery in the midst of it. And I feel like that that actually emulates the humility that Jesus calls people to um, because Jesus was not arrogant. Um, he was not puffy and prideful in knowledge. He was actually opposed to that when you see the conversations that he has with the religious. Um, and I, I would definitely agree. I asked that question just kind of like, because I think some people wonder like, well, when does this deconstructing thing end? When do I reconstruct? And, and so I think it's yep. definitely a journey. And I think it's I think it's interesting that we would both say, like, praise God that I'm not the person I was five years ago. And yep. my hope is that 20 years from now that my faith is not the same as it is now. That's um, right. But I am a better follower of Jesus um, yep. in the midst of that. So yeah. do, have you ever found yourself at any place where you're like feeling like you've feel the need to pump the brakes on like your own kind of deconstruction. Cause I've had, I've had moments where I'm like, Oh shoot, I'm really questioning this. I'm really doubting this. Like I, there are times where I'll lay in bed at night and I'm like, I don't know what uh, I believe sometimes. Uh, uh, and and yeah. at that point I'm like, okay, I need to pump the brakes. So do you ever have moments kind of like that? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I think to be human is to doubt. Why do you think we have Thomas, the story of Thomas doubting Thomas, right? I mean, we don't give him enough credit. Uh, in our in our modern evangelical circles, right? Because we have to know. But Thomas doubted. I mean, the psalmist, David, assuming it's him who wrote it, one day he's like, God, you're great. Next day he's like, God, where the hell are you? Frankly, that's, that's what he's saying. He's like, where are you? You know, like where my enemies are around me. You know, I'm being per per oppressed here. So I think that like we have to be okay with having moments where we're like, what do I believe? I mean, can we be honest, right? Can I be honest that I am placing a belief in a man who was also God, who died and rose again and is ushering in a new creation that we can't see, 
feel or touch right now, but also he exists bodily somewhere else, as N.T. Wright would say. Like, can we admit that? Yes, that 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 doesn't make a lot of like rational sense sometimes, and that's okay. Like, can we be okay with that? So I think that we have to be willing just to be. I have found personally, I I can only lie to myself for so long. I can only pretend to go with the flow so long before my questions just. I just have too many questions. Now, not everyone is wired that way. I have a great friend, one of my closest friends, Chris, and he is not that way at all. He is just content, believe in what he believes, and he loves people like crazy. He's a great guy, right? And he has questions sometimes, but him and I are just, we just think so differently. And I need Chris in my life, and Chris needs me in his life. And so everyone's different, and I'm certainly not here to tell people who are listening, like, this is how it has to be done. I'm just saying for me, I have had to learn to be honest and that God is big enough for me to be able to say, God, do you even exist? Like, God, is this Jesus thing like a joke? Like, am I in the wrong religion? I need, you know, am I? I, Maybe right now, I I don't know. There's actually a very, when you're able to admit that, at least for me, it's a very freeing moment of like, yeah, like my dogma and my theology I don't have to hold it so tight. Like, like this divine presence has me. Like, it, uh, there's something almost beautiful in those moments. It, I almost discover a different side of God in that doubt. So for me, I used to be that way. You know, if I had a certain thought, uh, my my body would kind of get a little anxiety shock, right? Like, oh man, like, you know, the Trinity. Oh no, am I doubting everything? But I've learned more and more just that's just part of life in general. I mean, that's just part of the process. So now nowadays I just try and go with it. Yeah. That, and yeah, I find myself kind of in moments like that um, where I'm like, Oh shoot, this is kind of yeah. crazy. And yeah. and what I, what I've been working through lately is just the idea of the mystery of God and being, yes. being content with the mystery of God. And it's so interesting. I like, you know, I, when I think about like what Jesus calls people to, it is humility and contentment or contentment in the midst of humility. And like, that is not just in our actions, but also in our thinking. Um, and our thinking, I think, reflects our heart. And so being content with the the mystery, being content with the doubt and not understanding. Um, yeah, so I, I've, I've definitely had to work through that and kind of figure out like, you know, where, what is too far for me? Or is that even, is, is there too far uh, in the midst of my doubt and, and just being right. okay with that mystery. And like, what is miraculous is only miraculous until it's reality. And so like, you know, yep. that's kind of what I've been thinking through. And just like, it, it, you know, if, if you're listening to this interview and you're kind of working through, you know, deconstruction or you're questioning things like learn or, or attempt to learn or seek out being okay with it. Like yeah. you're not, you're not wrong for, for having trouble in your faith. You're not wrong right. for like struggling. Um, and that's the beauty of the faith journey. It is not this point in which we reach. Um, right. It's something that is, is good. So some of the stuff that um, I've been reading on, on your page um, that has actually challenged me in some of my own thinking sure. um, is some of the critiques that you have to the, uh, of the church, not necessarily just, <laughs> Um, theology, right. but um, the church. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know if I really want to get into the weeds of, because we could go on and on about different things that we may have issue with, or we may disagree, whatever. Right. Um, but do you feel that we can still, we can still make a difference in the church? Um, and where do you think like, maybe the church has gone too, is it gone too far? Can it be helped? Um, and that's kind of an open-ended question, but yeah. Well, I think we need to be able to define terms quickly. Um, 
the institutional church is different than the church, right? Like the church is people, the church is a gathering, but it's also a a body and there's a global church. There's a regional church, right? We have always like bodies inside of bodies. That's a weird thing to say, but you get my point. And so, you know, if you're committed to Jesus in some way, shape or form, like you're part of the church. Um, Now the institutional, what I call the AEC, American Evangelical Church, um, can that be helped? And right now that that is the power player, right? That's where you have the elevations. That's where you have this mega church model. You have like this concert model. Um, I, I go back and forth. Honest, obviously I'm hurt right now by the church. And so it's hard to be totally objective. But what I tell people whenever I do interviews like this is I say, listen, it depends on the day, right? There are days for me where I'm like, give me the Molotov cocktail. I'll be the first one to throw that thing in that building. It needs to go down. Like it, the, the institution must die, right? Then there are days where I'm like, oh man, I don't know. Like, you know, I had this great experience at, at my church or I made great friends here or the work that we're doing has helped people. So maybe, maybe there is some good. I think right now, regardless of my perspective, the data shows that the American evangelical church is in crisis for a lot of reasons. Um, church attendance is down below half for the first time since Barner Group has been recording you know, that question. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that. The pandemic is part of it. But honestly, I don't think most pastors, especially most white pastors, realize how how big deconstructing is and how the 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 shift of what people view as community is really changing. So what, what used to be the community of, Oh, you go to church, you participate, or you just spectate and go home. Um, I think a lot of us are starting to sniff out the, the nonsense in that, like, Hey, why are you telling me on Sunday morning, welcome home. And I belong when I just attend a service and go home and do nothing else and talk to no one from here. Like, how is that, how is that genuine relationship with people or, you know, um, great. I'm glad I belong, but now, but you know, it turns out I'm gay. So it turns out I don't belong anymore. So maybe like have some caveats, what you mean by you belong or welcome home, you know? So I'm just saying like, like these these are real, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we have to have the same answers to that. I'm just saying it's a problem, right? Like that is a problem. When you have people who are coming to the church and then they get involved and they say, Hey, I'm struggling with, with, with my sexuality. And the church goes, all right, you got to go. That is the opposite of what we should be doing. The church is a hospital for the wounded. You know, it's not, it's not um, uh, a Taj Mahal for the rich and powerful. Unfortunately, in my perspective right now, and I've been doing, again, I've been part of this conversation for a long time. So this is not new for me. I'm like 15 years into this or 14 years. The church has um, a leadership crisis because we have given people power as a CEO model. That's like our church model. The lead yep. pastor has this unchecked power. The the non-denominational movement's huge, so there's no like real there's no like deacon accountability or even like network accountability for a lot of these guys, and they hurt people. Like that is the reality. I'm not saying they hurt everyone, but they hurt people because what has happened. And see, you got me ranting here, man. This is the problem. You let me go, <laughs> but this is important because what has happened is we have sacrificed true relationships and community for right theology and for systems. That's what it comes down to. If you don't fit into our system, if you can't fit into our volunteer grid, if you can't fit into our serving grid, it's just not the place for you. So what we've done is we've taken the foundational concept of a community that is diverse and that is moving forward as a new creation to bless the rest of the world to um, an empire that is systematic and needs rules and regulations and policies. And people have to get crammed into that. And if you don't fit, well, it was great knowing you relationally, but we got to move on. Uh, all, of course, all for the kingdom, right? That's like what it's called. But in reality, what we're doing is we're building little mini kingdoms called 
church down the street, church down the street, church down the street. So, you know, there's obviously a lot to this. And this is, I'm, I'm probably most passionate about, about this topic out of all of them because I've been a part of it, for, of it for so long. But, you know, I think that, 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 um, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. A reformation happens, they say, every 500 years or so. The last one was in the 1500s. You know, like we're due. We're due. We're just due for a massive shift. Um, and and I think that we're, we're seeing the beginning of that. I don't know how long it will take for it to go into full swing. Maybe not in our lifetime, but we're, we're launching something here. Yeah. And it's interesting for me personally, like I've been on different spectrums of like, so I've been the church I grew up in. Um, they loved people well. Um, I looking back, I don't think I necessarily agreed with all the theology and stuff. And what was interesting about being at that church at the time is that it was transitioning from the 90s, early 2000s, First Baptist Church into attempting to emulate the Passion City Church and uh, the the contemporary thing. So I got to see all the politics of that go on and, and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And then I worked at another church where um, I worked at a church where if the pastor preached on abortion or homosexuality, he got more amens than when he presented the gospel. Um, yeah. And but yet the church that I'm at now is actually it's a multi-site church. Um, but the the lead pastor like is is great. There is good accountability. The um, people in my church love people. We 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 give so much to like serve. We have food drops every month at every campus. Right. And so, you know, I, I've seen so many different yeah. variants of it. And so it's just an interesting yeah. thing to see. And I know that, you know, my viewpoint in, in some ways is kind of an anomaly for a lot of people. Um, but I, from my viewpoint, I see where, it, you know, the church still can be a loving place and a good place yeah. and a place of community and a place that helps people. Um, so I, I can definitely tell yeah. you're passionate about that. Um, and I think that is something that resonates with a lot of people as they're, they're thinking through. And so for some people, their issue is not necessarily theology. It's, it's the model of the church that's uh, going on, um, which is kind well, of I a, think I think. It was, sorry, I cut you off. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, that's OK. I was just going to say that I think that what I'm realizing more and more is that um, the institutional AEC doesn't have room for people who are deconstructing people who are on the outskirts people who have gotten hurt and so those people are now forming like their own community is what's happening you know and i don't think the aec likes that for whatever reason but i think that's part of what you're seeing is that people who have there's so many of us now who are like on the out that we're like okay um there's a community here so i think that's also part of it as well yeah so for you personally um and this can be um, kind of, I guess, practical or whatever, what has been helpful for you in the midst of all this? Like in the midst of, um, I guess, being hurt and, and doubting and questioning the model of the church, what has been something that you can take away from all of the, the experience or the journey that you're on that has been like good and, and helpful that maybe can be encouraging to someone that's listening? I mean, good friends, man. You know, without good friends, like I'd be way more of a wreck. I'd be probably crying during this whole interview. You know, like I've had good people um, that have been around me uh, in this, especially in this most recent, you know, thing that's happened. Like very, that's a very healing thing to have people who are like, listen, we get it. We're in your corner. You're safe here. You can, you can vent. We're not going to hold it against you. So, you know, relationships are just so key to, to life and to the Christian walk, so to speak. 
we're, we're built for community. Obviously, America is one of the most individualist societies in the face of the planet, but most other places don't live like that. And I understand why, because this individualism we have is like, in a lot of ways, very harmful. Um, and it's, it's really detached us and made, it's, it's easy to make people the other with that mentality. So I think that, I think that's a real big one for me. Maybe the biggest is I've, I've always had good people that I can call who I can trust to be like, listen, I'm frustrated. I am doubting this just happened. I think the second thing is, um, a lot of self-reflection, you know, like I tend to really, just self-reflect a lot on just, okay, what am I thinking? Why am I thinking in this way? You know, is this helpful? Is this harmful? Am I overstepping my bounds? Am I handling, am I handling the situation as best as I can? Is there anything on my end I can change? Um, even with like the new evangelicals account, I really do my best to balance like, okay, this might be just like too black and white. This is more nuanced. Like how do we, how do we have healthy dialogue without demonizing the other? So I think that mentality of just trying to be inward focus of like always rethinking, always reforming, always renewing, you know, how am I doing this? Is it really working well? How, you know, if this account gets bigger, how do, how do I avoid the celebrity um, pastor or celebrity Instagram person trap? Right. Cause that's what I don't want. Um, that kind of stuff. I think that's also kept me pretty grounded as well. That's awesome. Uh, so in the midst of like all of this, so in your, in your bio on yeah. the new evangelicals, it says committed to King Jesus. Yep. So what what does this look like to you? And, and how do you stay grounded in that, uh, even in the midst of all the stuff that we've kind of talked about? Well, man, I mean, the reason I, the King Jesus in that, that verbiage is very intentional because I've been realizing through people like N.T. Wright, Tim Mackey, uh, Michael Bates, uh, some others that like there's a big theme of royalty in the in the biblical narrative. And almost more than just savior, Jesus, Jesus is king. And that's important for us to realize. And he's coming back as king is that's the Christian belief. And there's a really good book um, I recommend to anyone called Misreading Scripture Through uh, Through Western Eyes. It's by Randy E. e Randy Richards. There's two of them. Um, and the first one's called that. The second one is Misreading Scripture Through Individualist Eyes. And he talks in the book how grace and faith, what they mean in Paul's context are a little bit different than what how we think about it. And one of the things he talks about is, long story short, is how faith is really a way of saying loyalty. Like when you're giving your, when you're putting your, your faith in Jesus, you're giving your loyalty and your allegiance to Jesus. Like that's the idea here. And when I first heard that, it really helped me like reframe this relationship thing, this, how is it grace, but also works. I was kind of felt like, yeah, it's totally free. The gift is free. Then you become saved. It's okay. Don't curse. Don't smoke. Don't do, you know, it's like, okay, well, is it free or like, are the rules attached to this? Like there are strings attached, you know? And when I heard that, that phrasing allegiance or loyalty, I'm like, yes, that is it. Like I want to, I want to have my allegiance tied to this risen Jesus um, and what his ethic stands for at all costs, like even yeah. when it's not convenient, right? And this is someone who doesn't do it well all the time. Like, of course, like Thanks. I'm not saying I do it well, obviously, <laughs> but that is like, that's what I'm aiming for. So when you think about it like that, then you start taking the Sermon on the Mount almost more seriously than you take Paul. I think we we kind of reverse that. We take Paul so seriously in our evangelical world, but we leave Jesus is almost like like the filler, you know? But when you read like love your enemies, it's like, wow, like, well, if I can't even love my political enemies, I'm 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 missing the mark completely, you know? And so I think that's why I have that phrasing in there because that is the point, you know, like we do believe that there is no 
president. There is no king other than Jesus, which is why I personally don't pledge allegiance to the flag. Like I, I don't do it. I don't say the national anthem. I, you know, I, I stand out of respect, but I'm never going to utter it because my allegiance isn't to a country. My allegiance isn't to a national anthem. It's to Jesus. Like that's what, you know, uh, Misty Edwards has a song and she says, I pledge allegiance to the lamb. You know, I'm like, yeah, like that's it. That's my allegiance. So anyway, again, a little long winded, but that's some of that, that the thought behind that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what's kind of been my thing the last year or so. I came across some of the stuff that uh, John Mark Homer puts out oh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. on practicing the way of Jesus. Yeah. And um, it's become this thing for me of like, you know, Jesus is always bringing us back to the reality of who we really are. Yeah. And everything that he says challenges us to change from who we are. And, and it just resonates with me so much. So I think that that is super important. So you know, if you're listening and you're deconstructing, sometimes it, for me personally, my my pump the brakes yeah. is when I begin to miss um, and I guess misview Jesus in the midst. Yeah. And so I have to Good. kind of take a step back and look at Jesus. And yeah. I know that's kind of the cliche, like keep your eyes on the Lord kind of deal. <laughs> but but literally it is what has been been really helpful. Um, so one last question, super you know practical. And you've kind of mentioned a couple books. Um, do you have any resources or books or, or podcasts or anything that you would just kind of want to point people towards that you feel like could be helpful? Obviously, the new evangelicals on Instagram, go follow that. Um, super helpful stuff. But yeah, do you have any resources you would uh, point people towards? On my, I have like a resource highlight on my Instagram. There's a lot. It depends on what, you, what you're looking for, right? Like, um, like when 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 the Trump stuff was big, there was a great book I, I read called The Immoral Majority, which really did a great job critiquing like how the AEC really sold its soul for for Trump and just how antithetical to Jesus that really was, which I think for all for a lot of us was such a springboard, at least for me, to like, okay, I'm missing something here. This is like where my faith is going. Uh, so there's that. Um, you know, there's a, a couple other books on there that are really good. You know, if for if you're a podcast person, I have a podcast as well. The New Evangelicals um, would always appreciate a listen. Um, but if you want like deep, like rethinking the Bible on like next level stuff, of course, the Bible Project, um, the Bible for Normal People is really good. Um, there's also uh, what's the name of it? I think it's called My Naked Bible. I think that is Michael uh, Heiser. Yeah, we just had him on the Naked Bible podcast. Yeah, did you have Michael Heiser on? Yeah, yeah, just put it out dude, today. Actually, he's that, dude, he he's like, next level. I'm gonna have to go back and re-listen to the whole interview. He's a genius. I, I know. I, he really is. I interviewed him a couple months ago as well. He has a book called I think The Unseen Realm or something yes, like that. Yeah. And I mean, it. You think you know the Bible. You think you know Genesis. So you read like what he's talking about, the Divine Council. Like forget it, forget it. You know. So if you, again, if you want that that deep stuff, that's there. Um, you know, another great book I really love that really helped me a lot was, um, the blue parakeet by Scott McKnight. Great read. So there's a lot there, you know, I mean, I, I would recommend check, starting with those and kind of going from there, but take your time. There's no rush. Remember it's, it's a journey, um, and enjoy it. You know, I've right now I'm going through a book called anti-intellectualism in American life. It's written in the sixties and it's just all about like how the anti-intellectualist movement has kind of like shaped our American culture. So it's good to read all kinds of books and that's, yeah. there's, there's really no, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to it, you know, but yeah. Awesome. So if you had one word of just encouragement, maybe to yourself 14, 15 years ago, or the listener who is beginning this kind of journey or thinking through these things, or maybe they've never even heard about any of this, 
Um, what would that be? One simple word or just a statement of encouragement. Hmm. Just one. Well, um, you know, no, I'm just kidding. I would say um, be honest with yourself and cool. don't be afraid of it. Awesome. Tim, thank you so much for coming on. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Um, this has been super helpful for me, just kind of uh, as I'm rethinking things and, and just trying to represent uh, and help people constructively uh, deconstruct in a sense. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Rethinking Christianity. I hope this episode and interview with Tim was super insightful and helpful. I'd encourage you to check out his Instagram page, The New Evangelicals. Uh, he puts out a lot of good stuff there. So thanks for listening. I hope that all the episodes that uh, I've been putting out have been helpful and encouraging. And until next time, my name's Blake, and this is the Rethinking Christianity podcast.